Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Amen. If you have your if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in the book of Exodus in the 25th chapter and you can remain seated. We're going to look at some scriptures and and uh, I'm thankful and this sounds almost uh, trite, but I'm just so thankful for the presence of the Lord. Amen. I know we were basking in his presence a moment ago, and uh, I appreciate that. I'm so thankful for that sweet refreshing and the rest that brings to our spirit when we come into the presence of the Lord. But I'm also thankful that I am not relegated to Sundays and Wednesdays to feel his presence. It is certainly always different and it just seems richer and fuller when we're all together. But I want to talk about the process of coming into the presence of the Lord. I'm going back to the Old Testament. We're going to be talking a lot about the tabernacle tonight and the process of getting into the presence of the Lord. For some, it may be a subject that you're not all that familiar with. To others, it may be a well-worn path. But whatever and wherever you find yourself, I believe that it will be worth the journey. The Bible says in Exodus 25 and 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willing, willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. In verses 3 through 7, the Lord goes on to, to tell Moses about that offering and what he considers that offering to be. And, and uh, in your own time, you can read that. But in verse number eight, here's what we read. Finally, the Lord says in verse number eight, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That I may dwell among them. I can certainly appreciate the fact I've had longer to consider this passage of scripture this evening than you have. But as I considered verse number eight, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. Here's the, here's the comfort, just as a one bullet point that I walked away from today thinking about this passage of scripture. And that is the fact that the presence of God that we feel in our lives and the presence of God that we felt a moment ago in our praise and worship and trust that we still feel is, is not from a God that is reticent to be in our midst, but a God that desires to dwell among us. He said, tell them to make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. And so I don't ever, I don't ever have to worry about is the Lord happy to be here? Amen, sometimes I wonder if some people are happy to be here. Amen, I'm, I'm not being snide with that, but I wonder sometimes if we're happy to be here. But I have never have to wonder whether or not the Lord is happy. He desires to dwell among his people. 
And so let's make that more personal. He desires to be among you and I this evening. Not his people as though they're a foreign entity somewhere, but his people as in you and I. And so fellowship with his creation has always been the heart's desire of the Lord. That's been the center of his passion. He daily sought Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. What a... um, what a blissful thought that is. It's hard for us perhaps in our humanity to wrap our mind around what it must have been like to commune with God in the cool of the day. But after they sinned, when it seemed all hope was gone, they tried to hide from God. But he yet reached out uh, to them and, and not only did he uh, bring uh, a measure of restoration to them, but we understand that God has been in the redemptive reaching posture from that moment until now. He is still reaching. He came to reconcile the world unto himself. And so we serve a God that is still in the business of reaching out to us, mankind, desiring to be in our presence. And so when we think about the tabernacle, and and I understand that the tabernacle story is a big story in and of itself, But the tabernacle was really, in essence, just another step forward in God's effort to reach mankind or to reach his people. Its importance in God's plan is so abundantly clear when we read about the commandments that God gave to Moses. The tabernacle plan, I promise you, is a very, very interesting story in and of itself. And so I, tonight, will just have to brush it in passing, but what depth there is here of symbolism and how God was casting types and shadows to point to a day that you and I would experience. And so its importance in Scripture is just unparalleled. God tells Moses how to build and and gave that plan in Exodus 25 and 9. The tabernacle serves as an example of, of a shadow or a sign of things to come. Jesus Christ actually accomplished what the tabernacle foreshadowed or what it represented. And so we think about the things, the shadow and the types of things that were to come. And so we can't take statements like that loosely because they were not just statements made prophetically that are just kind of hinging in the cloud somewhere or hanging on a hope sore or maybe, but we have been able to realize the fulfillment of those things. And so let's talk about those shadows of things to come. In discussing the Old Testament tabernacle, we find five shadows or or maybe five substances that each Thing that each and I want to talk about those five things and what those five things represent. Uh, we first talk about the brazen altar, which represents repentance. I was visiting with Brother Gibson yesterday, and he started talking a little bit about repentance, and that's kind of been rolling around in my heart ever since he was discussing that because we can't do anything without repentance. Repentance is not for the first time sinner, and then we kind of just put that away for another day or when we fail. But I will tell you this personally, that early on in my daily prayer, I want to praise the Lord and thank him. This is the day that you've made. I want to rejoice and be glad in it. I want to thank the Lord for the day, but I don't want to be too far into my prayer before I repent before the Lord. Being very serious, I repent and I ask God to forgive me of my sin, which are sins of action and deed. 
Amen. Things that we really do and then ask the Lord to forgive me for my iniquity, sins of thought and intent. I want not just my hands to be clean, but I want my heart and my motives and my mind and my thought. I want what propels me every day to be clean. And so don't ever underestimate the value of repentance. I get very afraid when people start undervaluing repentance. Amen. I don't, I don't know how long repentance has to last. I think that's a, a different journey for everybody. Uh, amen, I really do believe that's it. I don't think that you just have to beg God for the Holy Ghost. I believe that he will see the sincerity of our heart. Only he can measure that. When we know when Nathan stood before Dathan, when Nathan stood before David and said, thou art the man. From what we can gather in scripture, that wasn't a long drawn out process. But I believe that Elijah, I believe that uh, David repented right there, right then and there, and God was able to measure his heart. And so I believe that we should repent and always repent. I believe that we should always walk in a, with a spirit of repentance in our heart. Amen. The first item of furniture that a worshiper would ever find in the tabernacle or the first thing that article of furniture they would approach was the brazen altar. It was there that the priest would would shed an animal's blood and he would make sacrifices for the sin of the people. Sacrifice has been a principal part of worship since the very beginning of time, since Adam and Eve. The shedding of blood is a, is a spiritual prerequisite to the remission of sin. According to John 1 and 7, the blood of Jesus washes away our sin. Amen, I'm, I never get tired of singing blood songs. Amen, don't, don't misunderstand me, but I never get tired of singing blood songs. Amen, oh, the blood of Jesus. I'm thankful for the blood that reaches to the highest mountain, flows to the lowest valley. It doesn't take much singing about the blood to get something moving in my heart. As living sacrifices, we die to the flesh with the same effectiveness and with the same finality that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross. The brazen altar or the altar of repentance, I believe, touches every area, every aspect of our life. I believe if we could see this in, in, in light of tentacles, I believe the tentacles of repentance will touch every aspect of our lives. High and low, I believe that we need the spirit and the presence and the power of repentance to be with us every day that we live. Repentance is a, a mean of conveyance. It's that together with faith. It takes that together with faith for us to experience what God is really wanting to give us. I've said often, I don't want to confuse you with this, but I've said often, you can praise the Lord with sin in your life, but you can't worship the Lord with sin in your life because worship is relationship. And so before we can ever enter into worship, we're gonna have to first come by that brazen altar and die out to ourselves. Amen, I'm gonna tell you something. I believe that God is doing something in the worship of our church. I believe there's something breaking. I believe that's what praise and worship is all about, but I believe that God is breaking up the ground a little deeper in our worship, and so don't be resistant to that. Amen, let the Spirit of God move in our heart. Let him move in our lives. The next article of furniture would be the laver, which would be a type of baptism. The command to Moses concerning the laver was for the priest to wash so that they would not die. Amen, they needed to be obedient to the law. This washing was critical, not only to the priest, 
but also to the cleansing of the sacrifices. And so just like Jesus Christ was buried after his death, so we too are buried or we are baptized. Amen. Baptism is a type of burial following our dying out to sin and repentance. Amen. Don't get weary with walking past these articles of furniture. Amen. Don't get weary with revisiting these again and again in our heart because baptism is essential. You'll never hear it too many times. You will, no one will ever, it will never be too redundant for us. We need to understand the value of baptism. Why? Why would you say that? Why would I feel that way? It's because outside of these walls, there is a tremendous movement to downplay the importance of this. Amen, if you get around to it, if it fits into your life, let me tell you something. Amen, baptism is essential. Just like washing at the laver in the tabernacle was essential, baptism is essential for today. Consequently, every group of people that had the door of salvation open unto them experience water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Both Jews and Samaritans and Gentiles all the way up to the 21st century. I'm going to tell you there's no way around it. We must be baptized in his name. We're going to have to be buried in that name. We come now to the altar of incense or a type and a shadow of prayer and praise. The priests offered incense upon the golden altar Every morning or morning and evening and the altar was placed in front of the veil and it divided the holy place from the holies of holies. This is where God said in Exodus 30 and 6, I will meet with thee. Now think about that. Amen, I don't know about you, but I've got several appointments ahead of me this week. I've got several notes to myself about people that I need to meet with, things I need to take care of. But none was be so important as to hear the Lord to say, this is where I will meet with thee. What a tremendous intersection of life that would be. I will meet with thee. Where? I'm gonna meet with you at the longitude and the latitude of prayer and praise. And so we should never get weary coming into the house of the Lord and lifting our, maybe our tired hands physically before the Lord in worship and praise to him because it's in that spirit of praise and worship that things are broken. He said, I will meet with you there. So prayer and praise ushers us into the presence of God. I was thinking a moment ago, um, I was thinking a moment ago as we were singing and praise and worship and I was listening to the music and to those that were singing our praise team and, and uh, to Brother Osborne leading us in praise and I began to think about how blessed we are to be able to come here on this Wednesday night and somebody greet us with a smile and somebody have the courage and the confidence and the gusto to kind of reach down and start lifting us up. When in truth, we don't have any idea what those people have been through today themselves. Amen. Maybe there was a part of them that thought if I could just go sit down tonight and let somebody else lift me and encourage me, that would be in order. And so I just want to say thank you. Amen. Not just for tonight, but for all the times that we come into the presence of the Lord and somebody helps us 
takes us by the hand and helps us to get up just another rung on the ladder. That's, that, that, there are many reasons why we shouldn't just stare back as though it's entertainment. Amen. One of them would be we don't know what they, they may have had a worse day than us. Amen. And they're up there with their hands lifted so I want to give that back. Secondly, no matter what I've been through today, no matter what I've been through this week, it would pale in comparison with the idea that when I pray and worship in prayer and praise unto him, he said, I am going to meet you there. And so it's worth pushing back whatever you got to push back. Hallelujah. It's worth pushing through whatever you got to push through in order to get to that place where the Lord said, I'm going to meet you there. Praise God. Prayer and praise and worship in our life should be an ongoing thing. I understand what we mean when we talk about this is the portion of our praise and worship. This portion of our service is praise and worship. I understand what we mean when we say that. I understand what that means on our on, on the on the particular schedule of or the schedule rather of that particular service. I know what we mean in our own human vernacular, but in truth, prayer, praise and worship ought to be ongoing in our life. The fellowship with the Lord in prayer time, that's a wonderful, wonderful experience. One one songwriter described it when they said, described it well when they said, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer to be in the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful for the presence of God and I want that to be an ongoing thing. The next piece of furniture would be the table of showbread or the word of God. I just want to say again tonight, I know I've kind of made these points about every one of these pieces of furniture and what they signify, but it is so important for you to hear me tonight to tell you that, that we should never, ever underestimate the value of repentance. We should never underestimate the value of baptism. We should never underestimate the value of being in the presence of God in prayer and worship. But I'm gonna tell you tonight this, the, the table of showbread which typifies the word of God. We should never get weary with the word of God. I, I just wanna say something. I believe Brother Gibson and perhaps others could could relate to what I'm saying tonight. Brother Gibson probably is a little more traveled than, uh, than maybe some here tonight, but I believe he would understand what I'm saying when I say this, that when you are preaching away, when you are preaching in a different church under the congregation, you can sense the foundation you're standing on when you're preaching. Am I right, Elder? If it's soft ground of just... <laughs> let's get in and get it out before anybody gets ran over you can almost feel the ground squishing under your feet when there's no foundation but when you're standing in a, behind a platform I hope this is making sense it's making perfect sense in my mind but I don't know if it's making sense to everybody else but when you're standing behind a platform where there is a love for the word of God, you can just feel the sureness. Amen. There's an appreciation. I'm glad we had singing. I'm glad we had prayer. I'm glad we had praise. I'm glad we had worship. But you know, here's what I heard my whole life growing up. When they were turning the service over to the preacher, many times they would say, and now for the most important part of the service. Amen. Not the celebrity of the person who's coming to hold the microphone. Amen. Not to put a big light on that person or personality, but the most important part of the service is going to be passing by that table of showbread, the word of God. Amen. 
If you can only get to church for the word of God, if you're running late, don't worry about it. Get on to the house of God because we need to get to the word of God. Amen. I'm not trying to take away from what I've already mentioned, but we need to get to the house of God to get to the word of God. The showbread was for the priest to eat. This was nothing to do with the sacrifice to God. Amen. Those who fulfilled their duty in the tabernacle, they partook of the bread. And then if you watch the scripture, they replenish the loaves of bread on that table every week. Or in other words, that bread that was on that table was always fresh. It was never stale. Amen. And I'm going to tell you I appreciate the ministry and the ministers in this church who have one desire and that is to bring fresh bread when they step behind this pulpit. Amen. I know what Malachi 3 talks about, about the tithes and our offerings into the storehouse. It says, so there might be meat in my house. I'm going to tell you today, I don't think that we're paying for sermons. I'm not trying to make that equation, but I take very, very seriously my responsibility as a shepherd and pastor of this church to come to this pulpit with some fresh fire in my heart I'm not talking about spit and speed I'm not just talking about trying to turn up the the, the PA system but I'm talking about something burning in our heart that's fresh I say Lord let us come to the house of God and let me hear a fresh word from you and let me tell you something tonight if you come with a listening ear it doesn't matter what the topic is it doesn't matter what the subject is it won't matter if it's old Testament or New Testament. It won't matter if it's Moses or John. Amen. We're going to come and we're going to hear a fresh word from the, from the Lord. The Lord is going to speak in our midst. Amen. The, Jesus said in Matthew 4 and 4 that man shall not live by bread alone, but he's going to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let me just say it one more time for good times and for good measure. Amen. We are tonight living on a preceding word of God. I understand that God spoke here Sunday morning. I understand that God spoke in our midst last Wednesday night. I understand all that God has done in our past and I understand that God is speaking to us tonight. But there is a preceding voice of God every word that proceedeth amen that comes out and continues to come out and so God's going to anoint me tonight and God's going to anoint brother Thompson Sunday <laughs> amen and God's going to anoint whoever next Wednesday night don't try to figure it out and God's going to anoint brother Peyton amen next Sunday and God's going to anoint it he's why because there is somebody that said we got to have some fresh bread I know it was good Wednesday I know it was good last Sunday I know it was good tonight but Sunday we're going to have to come in here and and find some fresh bread a preceding word from the Lord I believe there always ought to be fresh bread. Amen. I think I'm preaching to people. I think I'm looking at people tonight that squeeze the loaf before you buy it. You thought I was going to say something way more spiritual than that. I know. I can tell from here you're loaf squeezers. I can just see that. I'm going to try that out. You know, for years, the bread companies, they, they tricked us because they wouldn't put the date. They just color-coded everything. Well, we don't know what green means. A green wrapper, you know, that's, that's a little twisty tie. Those color-coded and, 
And so only the people that work there, the CIA and the Secret Service had them little things in their ears. They're the only people in the world that knows what those colors mean. So we're just relegated to squeezing it and trying to figure out. And what a disappointing thing it is to get home and realize, oh. And we all have the same thought. We're going to have to eat toast till this is gone. Right? (laughs) Compare that to a fresh loaf. Oh, man. Anybody ever had... Anybody ever had hot donuts? I'm not trying to fling too much on you tonight, but that hot now sign. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was courageous, amen. Now you're preaching. <clears throat> My wife and I had stopped by a donut place just a few days ago. I think... Uh, Saturday, I think, and uh, we went through the line. We just ordered a half a dozen donuts, and we got to the window. And they, the the girl behind the window, the girl there at the window, the cashier, she was so thrilled to be there and just so chipper and cheery. She said, "Today is. Uh, do you remember the term? Today, yeah. Today is buy one get one free." And so was I said. She said, I was trying to figure out what she said. It seemed like it was another little saying she had that went along with that. It kind of threw me off. And she said, in other words, she said, you get a whole dozen for the price of six. We got to the room. I figured out why. (laughs) They were trying to get rid of them babies. That's what they were. They were. (laughs) They were dying before our very eyes. I mean, they were. (laughs) They were about that hard right there. I said, oh, yeah. I said, <clears throat> so them girls, they still laughing at us. We drove off of there. We drove off of there thinking Merry Christmas is just eating God wonderful and and uh, like to chip the tooth trying to get all that. But we got it. But we, we pressed through. <laughs> Something about fresh bread. Let me get on here. Let me get on. We keep talking about food. I'm going to lose it for sure. The next thing we come to is the candlelight or the candlestick. Amen, the fellowship of light. The tabernacle had no windows, so the candlestick was of grave importance, represents several things. So since it's the only source of light, and since we know that Jesus is the light of the world and his word, according to David, provides not only light for our here and now, because it'll be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so his word is not just something for just kind of get us through the night. But his word can project into our future. Amen. And be a light to the path that we're going to walk. Amen. He is our source of light. And so I'm thankful for the light of the word of God and for the illumination of that. Isn't it just cool when you see things in scripture, God just reveals something to you? Maybe it's during your own private devotion or when somebody's preaching and it may not even really be necessarily what they're preaching about, but God just illuminates something and that light comes on and you see it. And then from then on, that scripture's kind of highlighted in your mind, whether it's highlighted in your Bible or not, because he has shined the light of that. Now, under the old tabernacle, there were many imperfections, and, and uh, we'll speak about three of them. Three of them. The, the imperfections that, that had to be dealt with was the priesthood, the sacrifices, and the people. 
And I know that kind of sounds a little bit strange, but it's still nevertheless true. Because imperfections are just a trademark of mankind. We all have imperfections. And sometimes our humanity really tells on itself when we just forget something major or we have some, uh, some big uh-oh in our lives. But imperfections are just a trademark of, of mankind. Of course, the individuals who served in the priesthood would not be an exception to this, no more than they are an exception in this day and time that we live. And so, of course, the man that you're looking at tonight, uh, thankfully, I've never claimed to be perfect, but I am not perfect and have imperfections and so that's always been something to contend with down through time Eli served in the temple he served his entire life but he was not a perfect man he never restrained his sons Hophni and Phinehas and and uh, he never stopped the wicked things that was in their life just as an example another example of of imperfections maybe not on that necessarily on that bloody of a scale but was a man in the New Testament by the name of Zacchaeus or Zacharias and when he was told about the birth of John that your wife is going to have a child he didn't believe that he doubted and uh, and the Lord struck him mute for the entire period of time period of her pregnancy and and uh, and so here he was here here he was the priest <laughs> and he doubted a miracle in his own life and so there were the imperfections of the priesthood according to Hebrews 7:28 the Levitical system used high priests that had infirmities and imperfections amen now uh, so there there's when you have mankind to deal with we're just subject to imperfections. But we serve a God that has helped us and is helping us to overcome our imperfections because he's perfect. There were also imperfect sacrifices. Blood sacrifice was a principle established as an aspect of man's worship and service to God from the very beginning. Cain and Abel learned about sacrifices from their parents. This this means that worship continued on through uh, through time uh, with the patriarchs like Moses and the kings and even, even into the time of Jesus. However, the many sacrifices of animals could not produce perfection. And it is baffling, absolutely mind-boggling when you begin to read and, and just do a little bit of math. I've, I've done it in years past just to just to try to look and have no figures to bring here tonight, but it's just mesmerizing at if you were to calculate this in the gallons of blood that would have been spilled through the process of time, just pushing back sins and all of these sacrifices, they were imperfect and they could not produce perfection. Hebrews 10 refers to this, the blood of bulls and goats that could not remove the stain of sin, could not even remove the stain of sin. And then we had the imperfect priests and imperfect uh, sacrifices and then we had imperfect people. Paul, the apostle, quoted from uh, the psalmist David in Psalms 14 when he wrote in Romans 3 and 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No, not one. So righteousness is only attained through Jesus Christ, not by the works of the law, the law was just a schoolmaster. The law just brought us to where we are. Amen. Amen. There had to be change. There had to be something that transitioned in all of this. And so since the law could not make anyone perfect 
certainly a change was in order. The law was a shadow of good things to come because man could not be made righteous by his own effort. There had to be some kind of supernatural intervention if we are ever going to get out of this and be saved from our sin. So when what the scripture says, the fullness of time was come, amen, God had a plan, an absolute plan, and that plan included Jesus Christ, God manifested in flesh. God's promise was fulfilled at Calvary, the crucifixion, and the resurrection that followed. Amen. The new covenant now was going to be different from the old. Not only different, but it was going to be far better. John identified God as the word that became flesh in John 1 and 1 and John 1 and 14. Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father, as scripture calls him. Amen. Fulfilled these verses. A body was prepared for the fulfillment of an eternal perfect blood sacrifice. The offering of the body of Jesus Christ produced a perfect sacrifice once and for all. So when we think about the veil that was in the temple or the veil that was in the tabernacle, which was a type of Christ's flesh, that flesh was broken for us. And now through him we enter into the holy of holies. Or in other words, today we can enter into the very presence of God. That's what we're enjoying here tonight in this service. Amen. The power of this veil that was torn in two when he said it is finished. There were men far and wide that understood the significance of that moment when the veil was torn in two and it gave common man access to an uncommon God. Amen. To think about that someone would have to pray for us or on our behalf or that someone would have to offer up sacrifices on our behalf. Amen. However, this blood of bulls and the blood of goats and, and all of that could not even remove, the scripture says, the stain of sin. Therefore, the blood of Christ would effectively deal with this. The tabernacle was a shadow of what was to come what was to come. Moses carefully followed the instructions given to him according to the plan. It's so important to understand that. He did so because Moses understood, I believe with only God's help, how could a finite mind understand, but Moses understood the significance that this temple or tabernacle is going to represent later. We got to get this right here because it's going to typify something there. And so Moses didn't have the right or the authority to walk in and say, you know what, we're just, we're going, we're not going to need this candlestick anymore, or we're not going to need this altar, or we're not going to need this labor because this is not important, just important for today, but it's important for time to come. And so I'm thankful that the scripture can be open to us. Aren't you thankful for the word of God? Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask our musicians to come, and I'm going to, I'm going to just search diligently here for a landing. How's that? <laughs> I'm thankful for what's accomplished in the presence of God. In the presence of the Lord. I know I'm referring a lot, and, and uh, forgive me if you think I'm going there too many times, but I'm referring a lot to the beginning of our service. But don't ever underestimate what God is doing right then. Never underestimate what God is doing. That's why I think it's so important to respond to the presence of the Lord. You know, we're, uh, we're living in a day where... Uh, 
a lot of courtesies are just kind of being dropped by the wayside. There was a day when a man wouldn't walk in a building with a hat on. There was a day when a man wouldn't remain seated when a lady walked and they would always stand. Am I right? And so a lot of these things are just kind of falling by the wayside. And sometimes we're so unimpressed in the presence of God that we just remain seated. And when we keep our hat on, so to speak. When it, the being in the presence of God constitutes something on our part. Now you don't have to do what I do. But I do believe that we're all called to do something. When we're in the presence of the Lord. I mean, if the governor of our state, regardless of what side of the political fence you're on, if the governor of our state walked in this building, I believe that would constitute our honoring him by standing. Am I right? The president of the United States of America were to walk in this room tonight, it would certainly, regardless of our political persuasion, it would, the office itself would mandate that we stand out of honor Amen. We, we, at certain moments, we salute the flag. Certain songs are, are rendered. We put our hand over our heart because there are some things that just, what we're doing constitutes me doing something here. Amen. And so when we're in the presence of the Lord, we should never underestimate what God is doing right then. And I believe that something is being accomplished in the presence of God. And I believe that something is always, I may or may not ever, never know, may never know, but I believe that God is doing something significant. Amen. And I believe that God is perfecting some things in us. I think that in his presence, we can, it's only there that we can be, uh, that we can be purified and cleansed. I believe that something is changing in the atmosphere when we're in the presence of the Lord. And so we should just be moved by that. We should be challenged by that. And again, I, I'm not saying that, that you necessarily have to worship like somebody else. That's not at all what I'm saying, that on the count of three, we all get up and run. On the count of three, we all send up and shout one particular word. But I believe that we should be moved. Something in us should be so changed, so turned over, so, so stirred. Amen. I've watched people through the years who were maybe visiting a Pentecostal service for the first or one of the first times and maybe they're not all that accustomed to somebody clapping their hands or somebody raising their hands or saying hallelujah out loud but I've watched in time in the course of a service where after a while just something has to move amen something has to move why because something in us if we don't override it if we don't override it something inside of us longs to be in the presence of the Lord and we relish that moment of him saying I will meet you there I will meet you there praise God let's stand shall we thank you Jesus praise the Lord So what is our response to the presence of God? What should our response be? You know, I know that sometimes our services perhaps are the, the 
presence of God in that particular moment is more jubilant than at other times. And maybe sometimes it does constitute the clapping of our hands, the raising of our hands. Other times it may it may be way more in order to just weep in his presence or somewhere in between. But we should be moved. We should be moved. We should be moved. Hebrews Hebrews 7 and 19 says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, (laughs) by which we draw nigh unto God. The law didn't perfect anything, but here's what it did. It was the bringing bringing in of better hope that accomplished something, by which we draw nigh unto the Lord. I'm thankful for that drawing nigh, because here's what we get as an end result of that. Many of you have heard it countless times, but let it ring true in our heart again tonight. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Amen. So when we draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to us and we are grafted into the body. Aren't you thankful for the Holy Ghost tonight? Amen. Let's magnify the Lord together, shall we? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.